Hi. Hi. Y'all doing good? Top of the morning. Welcome to Journey Church, especially if you're our guest. Maybe around here for the first time, we're delighted to be with you and worship God with you today. Uh, I wanted to tell you about some transition back in our kids department. Amy Childers has been our kids director for the last season of time. And due to some family circumstances, she took a leave of absence uh, starting last spring, uh, late last spring, and about 105 days of leave of absence, and bless Marcy Long's heart, she covered for her, did just a great job in an interim role. Yeah, good job, Marcy. And uh, Amy was about to return, and she just thought that uh, it would be best for her family if she didn't come back to be our kids director. And so uh, we were like, oh, gee, what are we going to do, you know? But the Lord knew that that was going to happen, and the Lord stocked the shelves. And so I'm going to ask Tara and Karen if they would come up here, Tara Hill and Karen Funk. Uh, literally, Amy resigned on a Wednesday, and Thursday morning we had these two hired, and they were like chomping at the bit like, give me kids ministry or give me death kind of a thing. I think that's kind of what, yeah, that's exactly right. Yes. So uh, the Lord stocked the shelves and we just couldn't be more thrilled to have Tara and Karen uh, leading our kids department. Like, way to go. Thanks for being here. And as we like to do, we like to commission new staff people. And in the book of Acts in the Bible, uh, they would actually lay hands on people and pray over them to commission them for ministry in the kingdom of God. And uh, that'd be kind of weird if we had all of them. And so I'm going to put my hands on them. If you feel comfortable, you can extend a hand as if you were uh, putting your hands on them. And let's just pray over Tara and Karen together. God, we're so grateful for who you are and for your provision. It's just so evident, God, that you've gone out ahead and you knew and you stocked the shelves. And uh, you had Tara and Karen like waiting in the wings for what was coming around here, God. And we just thank you so much for your provision. Like, we think about how much we love our kids, and we think about how much we love our church, God, but then, like, it is unfathomable how much more you love our church, how much you love our kids, God. And so you're just going out ahead of us, preparing the way, making sure that that ministry doesn't skip a beat, Father. And so I pray for Tara and I pray for Karen, God, that they would have a hedge of protection around them as they lead, God. I pray that you would give them wisdom and insight, God. Give them great trust in you for your provision and for your going out ahead of them, God. They can't see every step clearly, God, but that's okay because we trust you and we cling to you and we depend on you, Father. I pray that you would help Tara and Karen be all about making that 75 minutes back there with those kids the best in a kid's week, Father. The most meaningful, the most significant, the most lasting stuff as they teach kids the Bible and point them toward you, Father. What it means to live life with you your way. Go with them, bless them, keep them. They're yours and we're delighted to partner with them. God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Give those guys a hand, if you would. Way to go. And I just invite you to nestle up next to them and introduce yourself to them. And you might just ask them the question, oh, what can I do to help? And they will have an answer for you. I promise. What can I do to help? And they'll have an answer. If you knew you only had one month to live, how would you live differently than you are right now? Maybe you've been journaling through this journal over the past Almost one month now. This is the fourth week. We're going to be on page 26 and 27 today if you want to take notes in there. 
If you knew you only had one month to live, how would you live differently than you are right now? I think most of us would, wouldn't we? Show of hands, how many of you have been to the beach before? Yeah, lots of you love the beach, don't you? How many of you have made sandcastles on the beach? Yeah, almost all of you. Uh, How many of you think that the sandcastle that you made when you were at the beach the last time is still there? Yeah. Last night there was a gal who was like, I know it's there. She kept raising her hand. I know it's there. Remember as a kid, or maybe even as an adult, you would sit for hours digging and smoothing and shoveling and padding, making sure that the turrets on your sandcastle were just right, that the moat around it was perfect. And then you'd take your little pail, your little bucket, and you'd go down to the ocean and you'd fill it up with ocean water and you would go back to your sandcastle and you would fill up that moat. Maybe you'd have to make several trips if you had a large mansion moat around your sandcastle, right? And then do you remember how stunned you were when the tide started to creep up like higher and higher on the beach and you're like, wait, 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 what's, what? what's going on here? Why that water is supposed to stay out there, right? And pretty soon you had that sea foam stuff lapping at the edges of the moat and the castle that you had just spent hours constructing until finally the force of those waves just washed your sandcastle, all your work, washed it right away and there was nothing you could do to stop that. Now, no one except the very youngest child expects their sandcastle to be permanent, do they? Everyone knows that sandcastles built on the beach, they just don't last. But how many people live their lives like a young child building sandcastles on the beach? You know the scene. Lots of us live the scene. People working nonstop from way before the sun comes up until way after the sun sets, just busy with the crazy, hectic, way overbooked schedule. And then finally, at some point, their body just says, enough. Their body just like calls in a timeout. And it forces those folks to slow down and stop and examine what it is that they've been building with their lives. And far too often, when those people do stop, they face the cold, hard facts that so much of what they've been working so hard to build just will not stand the test of time. It just won't last. After they're dead and gone, it'll all just wash away like a sandcastle at high tide. The truth is that at some point, whether it's in 30 minutes or 30 hours or 30 days or 30 weeks, 30 months, maybe even 30 years, we're all going to die. See? A friend of mine, when he stands up in front of gatherings like this, he likes to say this. You're all going to die. He kind of points his finger. You're all going to die. You may not think you're going to die, but you're going to die, he says. One of these days, they're going to take you out to the cemetery. They're going to drop you into a hole. They're going to throw dirt on your face. And then they're going to go back to some gathering place and eat potato salad and drink watered down punch. (laughs) My friend doesn't have much tact. But he's right. That's true. And because that's true, because it is true that we're all going to die, I'm convinced that if we knew we had just one month to live, that we would want to set ourselves up and set our lives up in such a way so that we could leave this life and so that we could leave this planet boldly. Right? I'm convinced that if we knew we had just one month to live, that we would make whatever investment we could to leave a lasting, eternal legacy behind. But in order for us to do that, 
in order for us to leave boldly, we've got to build eternal things every single day, starting today, over months and over years. Because see, this one month to live deal, it isn't just about 30 days in September in 2008. It is about a way of life, a one month to live kind of life. If you knew you had just one month to live and asking yourself that question every single day until your dying day. And see, the only way to create any kind of lasting legacy in our lives is to pour our most valuable resources into the investment with the greatest returns, and that's people. It's people. It's only when we invest in people that we can guarantee a return on our investment. It's only an investment in people that we can guarantee protection against fire and flood and, yes, the ups and downs of the stock market. Let me ask you today, are you building on a lasting and permanent foundation? Are you building your sandcastle on a lasting and permanent foundation? Because if you want to be ready to leave this earth boldly, leaving an eternally enduring legacy behind, then life is just not about your homes and your investment portfolio or even your heirloom jewelry. If we hope to leave behind a legacy that waves of time can never wash away, we've got to stop. We've got to push the pause button. And we've got to do an on-site inspection of the life that we're currently building because we're all building one right now. And the question is this. Is the castle that I'm constructing made of sinking sand? And the first piece of this on-site building inspection is the influence evaluation. You could write that down, the influence evaluation. If any of us hopes to spend our time in such a way that we leave a lasting legacy on planet Earth, we must pass the influence test. Every single one of us has been given a limited, a finite number of opportunities to influence others and make a lasting eternal difference in their lives. God has chosen to invest in us, his ability to influence others, and he asks that we would provide a return on his investment by simply taking advantage of our opportunities. In the book of Acts, you could turn there, Acts chapter 8, if you've got a text. You could also follow along in the side screens. In Acts chapter 8, we see how a guy named Philip highly leveraged his influence to make a difference in the life of an Ethiopian eunuch. Look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over. If you've got a Bible, you might want to circle that word ran. It's important. He ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as the lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. 
Now, Philip recognized that he had a limited number of opportunities with which he could influence others and make a lasting difference in their lives. That's why the angel prompts Philip. As the angel prompts Philip, he obeys the angel. He does what the angel tells him to do. And as a result of his obedience, Philip makes contact with this traveler, this eunuch, which, by the way, a eunuch normally means a castrated male. Can you say, ouch? I think we should probably just stop and say that together. Ready? One, two, three. Ouch. Yes, at the word eunuch. Ouch. Right? This eunuch served as the treasurer of the country of Ethiopia. Now, there is some debate about whether or not this guy was really a eunuch because often the word eunuch is used to identify one who has authority over, much like our modern-day usage of the word minister, like when we're referring to heads of government and such, a country's minister of defense, for example. Scholars in this instance, though, hypothesized that this guy was a eunuch in the truest sense of the word. This was a castrated male. Otherwise, it would be redundant for the text to read the way it does. The treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority that would have been redundant. But what's this eunuch doing? He's riding along in his carriage, and he's reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. And reading aloud, see, that was the custom of the day. There was no silent reading in ancient times. Everybody just, when they read, they read aloud. The Holy Spirit directs Philip to go over and walk alongside the carriage. So what's Philip do? That word I told you to circle. He runs over to the carriage that's carrying the Ethiopian treasure in it. Now, this is an absolute freebie, no charge whatsoever for this. I love how the King James Version renders this verse. Look at Acts 8.30. And Philip ran thither to him. Isn't that a great word? Thither. That's the King James way to say over there. And it's such a great word. You can start using it all the time. Go thither, right? And then it's cool. You can just drop the T and you've got the word hither, right? That's the King James way to say here, right? Thither, there, hither, here. And Philip ran thither to him. No charge for that. Why'd he run thither? Well, Philip ran toward the conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch because he knew that he had just one life. He had just one opportunity to influence the treasurer of Ethiopia. And with that one and only life that he had, he wanted to make sure that he made the most of that opportunity, that he squeezed it for all it was worth. He didn't want to waste it. He didn't want to cut it short. He didn't want to botch it. Philip was all about leaving an eternal legacy that would live on long after he was dead and gone. Philip took and Philip passed the influence test. If you discovered that you had just one month to live and you considered, what in the world can I do to leave a lasting eternal legacy? You might be tempted to do what I often do. And it's to say, you know, it's just too late. I don't really have any way to make a lasting eternal difference in this world. But that isn't the way to look at it, see. There was a businessman and he was staying at a tropical resort on business and he woke up early one morning, he left his room, he wanted to take a walk on the beach and he reached the shoreline, or the seashore, and he came upon this stunning sight. There were countless starfish that had washed up on the beach during night, the night during high tide. They were still moving, the starfish were, they were still alive, they were clamoring all over each other, trying very hard to get back into the ocean. This businessman was rather intelligent and he knew that it wouldn't be long at all until the tropical sun would bake the poor creatures that were marooned on the beach. 
And he wished he could do something, but there were just so many of them, thousands of them, literally, as far as his eye could see. There was no way that he could make a dent in saving them, so he just continued his walk. He went on his way. He walked a little bit further down the beach, and there he came upon this young boy who was bent over, scooping up one starfish at a time, flinging them like frisbees out into the hope the PETA people weren't around, flinging them like frisbees out into the ocean. And he repeated that process over and over again, picking up speed, obviously trying to save as many starfish as he possibly could. And once the man stood and watched for a few minutes, he realized what this boy was doing, and he felt like it was up to him to inform this boy of a very harsh life lesson. And so he charged right up to that little boy, and he said, son, let me tell you, you're trying to do a very noble thing here, but there's no way you can save all those starfish. I just got to tell you, there is no way you can save all those starfish. There are thousands of them. Look at them and see the sun starting to get really hot already. They're all just going to cook and die. You might as well just go on your way play on the beach, build sandcastles or whatever you're going to do. You can't make any difference here. That little boy didn't do anything at first. He just sort of stood up looking at that businessman. And very casually, he just stooped down and he picked up another starfish and he flung it out into the ocean like a frisbee as far as he could fling that thing. And he said, well, I just made all the difference for that one. I just made all the difference for that one. And that little boy, he never let the magnitude of the situation keep him from doing what he could do. That was save one starfish at a time. Helen Keller, she summed it up so incredibly well when she said this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. That is the definition of influence. Doing what you can do. Passing the influence test is all about aligning our view with God's view. Just one starfish at a time, doing all we can do, no matter how big or matter how small, no matter how inconsequential it might seem. Let me ask you this. Who are you running toward right now in your world? Just like Philip did. Who are you running toward to wield the spiritual influence that God has given you? Who are you running toward in your world right now? Because see, wielding influence might be something as simple as having a spiritual conversation with a friend who is struggling in their marriage and speaking the truth to them about their marriage and how marriage was intended to last and marriage isn't something that we just throw in the towel on. That's wielding influence. Wielding influence is you choosing to invite a friend to a weekend worship service around here and you're like, well, that's a real small thing. Yeah, maybe it is but it's wielding spiritual influence. Wielding spiritual influence is you sharing your faith with a coworker, nestling up next to a coworker and saying, look, I gotta tell you about the most important thing in my life, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. I want the very same thing for you. That's wielding spiritual influence. Serving in our kids' department is wielding spiritual influence with our youngest disciples around here. And see, you add up a whole bunch of seemingly insignificant small things. They add up to a very influential, lasting, eternal legacy that will live on long after you are dead and gone. If we want to leave a lasting legacy here on the planet, we have to pass the influence test. We have to pass it. But we also must pass the affluence evaluation. It's the next test. 
the affluence evaluation. You could write that down. If we ever hope to have an impact on eternity, we must consider what we are doing with the material resources that God has entrusted to our care. Now hang with me here. Some of you might be tempted when you hear the word affluent to just like check out. You're like, hey, I'm not even close to affluent. I'm barely scraping by. I'm tuning out because that word affluent, that's like for wealthy, rich people. But don't do that, please. While I completely understand where it is that you're coming from, if you're sitting in this room today, you are a gazillionaire. You are affluent by world standards, see. And besides, passing the affluence inspection is not dependent upon the amount of money that you have, see. But rather on what you do with the money that you do have. Jesus in the Bible tells a story about a guy who didn't make the grade with the affluence inspection. Look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 16. Then he told them a story, Jesus did. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. That guy, he was a businessman, and he was an incredibly successful businessman. His barns were so full that he just had to stand back and say, I have nothing more I can do except expand my business so that I can be even more successful. And look at the consequences, Luke 12, 19. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That guy, see, he wanted to expand his business just so that he could like hang out for the rest of his life, eating, drinking, being merry, like playing, right? But God says, uh-uh. God says, no way. That kind of life does not pass the affluence inspection. God says, I blessed you, and all you want to do is use those blessings that I gave you for yourself. God says, look, you passed the most important evaluation, the most important inspection of your life. And every single one of us has to pass the affluence inspection because God does hold us accountable for how we use the resources that we've been given. Now understand this, please. There is nothing wrong at all with having resources, with having wealth. But get this, every single thing you have came from the hand of God. Every single thing you have came from the hand of God. And godly perspective on what we do have should cause us to realize that our stuff and our material wealth, they're just sandcastles. When a kid on the beach works and works to build this great sandcastle, and then a few hours later, the tide comes in and washes all their hard work away, a kid is never devastated at that. They just don't sweat it. They're just enjoying playing on the beach, building sandcastles. And just like those kids on the beach building sandcastles, we should be all about enjoying the material wealth and blessing that God has chosen to bestow on us. But do not get too attached to it, please. Because one day, it is all going away. One day, the tides of time are going to sweep it away, every single bit of the material wealth that you have. And if you're clinging too tightly to it, you will be crushed when it goes away. And see, the only way to pass the affluence inspection is by giving. 
by opening up our hands and giving. If you want your life to make a lasting difference, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, we must learn to be givers, not just takers. And we fail the affluence inspection when we keep everything that we own and everything that we earn just for us. We hoard it. Now see, God has designed us to be conduits of his stuff. We're simply the ones who direct the resources that he has entrusted to our care to the things that matter the most to him. And when God makes the determination that he can trust us with his stuff, when God makes the determination that we're being obedient with what he's asked us to steward, then he knows that he can continue to bless us. He can continue to trust us. You can look at it from the other side as well. Why in the world would God entrust more and more of his stuff to us if we're just going to pile it up, if we're just going to keep it, if we're just going to hoard everything he gives us for ourselves? When we cling to the stuff that God has given us with both fists closed, we're no different than the parable of the man who set out to build bigger barns just so that he could sit back and enjoy life. But by using the stuff that God's given us to further his kingdom, we leave a lasting and an eternal legacy. And seasons like we're living in right now, economically speaking, you're all riding through it, right? They cause us to severely doubt God's challenge to us to be givers, don't they? Because see, it's just innate in all of us to seek our security first. Because we, most of the time, disregard Jesus' command to us in Matthew 6.33. You can follow along. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And watch this. And he, that's God, will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. But most of us, most of the time, if we were to be completely honest, we would have to say that we are seeking our kingdom above all else, right? We're all about looking out for number one. We're all about building our own personal financial empire. But what's Jesus say? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The second largest check that Dana and I write, Dana's my wife, every month we write to Journey Church. The second largest check we write, we write right here. After our house payment, Journey's is the next largest check. And it's always literally the most fun check we write. I love scratching that thing out. It's worship for me, it's worship for Dana, it's worship for us as a family. And get this, it is a non-negotiable for us. It's just part of what we do. It's habit, it's pattern, it's worship. But the last time, just a couple of weeks ago, when I wrote that check, when I went to write that check, I got a little jumpy, to be honest with you. I wondered in a moment if we should give less and, like, save more, keep more for us. The doom and gloom financial prognosticators, they were playing in my head, and they were causing me suddenly to doubt our commitment to give to God's work here on the planet, to put the Hopkins financial empire ahead of God's kingdom. To disregard Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33. And so I just had to put my pen down and I just had to take a step back. And I just had to say, well, well, just wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Every single thing we have comes from the hand of God. Check. God has always met all of our needs. And then some. Like way then some. Check. 
And the very best investment that I could ever make is to give, give to God's work through our church because it's only an investment in people that will stand the test of time. Check. And I want to be all about leaving a legacy in every way possible that lives on long after I am dead and gone. And the dollars that we give to our church around this place, they translate into changed lives one at a time. There's no empire being built around here. It's translating into changed lives. That's an eternal, lasting legacy. If we want to be about an eternal legacy on this planet, if you want to be able to leave this life boldly, you have to pass the influence evaluation you have to pass the affluence inspection. And last, you could write this down. There is the obedience evaluation. We gotta pass the obedience evaluation if we wanna leave a lasting legacy in this life. Look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. So be careful how you live, he says. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but watch this, understand what the Lord wants you to do. You might underline that in your Bible if you have one. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. If you want to leave a lasting eternal legacy that will far outlive you, Paul gives us the key right here. Understand what the Lord wants you to do and then just do it. Understand what the Lord wants you to do and then just do it. I heard a story about a dad whose son, around age five or six or so, started to ask his dad the question, what does God's voice sound like, dad? His dad had no idea how to answer that question. He, he had no idea. He just looked at his son, shrugged his shoulders. Wasn't too many years later, that kid who was then in middle school went off to his very first middle school camp ever. And in the middle of that week of camp, the dad went up to see how his son was doing at camp just to check in. And the dad showed up on the campus of the camp and he quickly learned that his son had started to assault another kid but had been held back by his friends. That dad's son was unrepentant. He wanted to just leave camp. And so he piled all of his stuff into his dad's car and said, let's go, dad. I want to get out of here. Before they loaded up and left, though, the dad asked, could we just have one last talk before we leave this place? And the son, sure. So that dad and his son, they took a walk out to the woods and they sat on two very large rocks in the middle of the night, in the middle of these dark woods. And that dad said, son, is there any voice inside of you that's telling you what you should do right now? The son said, yep. What's that voice telling you, the dad asked? that I should stay here and that I should work that deal out with that kid that I wanted to kill? Dad said, can you identify that voice? Uh-huh, sure can. It's God. Mm-hmm. And that was like the moment that that dad had been waiting for for a long, long time. And dad said, son, do you realize what just happened there? Son kind of looked at his dad. You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from deep within your soul. And I just want you to forget about everything else that has happened, the fight and the conflict and all of that stuff. Do you see what just happened? God spoke to you and you recognized that it was him. And the son very quickly responded with a very dug in response. Well, I'm still not doing what God said. I'm still not doing what God said. 
And isn't that like what we so often do? We hear God speak to us and he speaks to us through his word and he speaks to us through our conscience by his Holy Spirit and he speaks to us through others by his Holy Spirit. But then we don't just do what he asks us to do. We do our own thing. We do what we want to do. We do what feels right. And we effectively, by doing so, manage God's voice and we manage God's influence entirely out of our lives. And then we sit back and we wonder why our hearts get hard towards God's stuff and our ears get dull to God's voice. Why don't I ever hear from God anymore? Now see, when we do what God asks us to do, when we simply obey God, our hearts, they stay soft to God's stuff. Our ears stay alert to God's voice. And the person who desires to leave a lasting, eternal legacy is the person who firmly and wholly commits to just obey God, to know what God wants them to do, and then does it. And I promise you, it will not ever be easy to do what God wants you to do. It will not ever be popular to do what God wants you to do. It will cause you, very likely, an enormous sum of grief, what God is asking you to do. But that stuff just doesn't matter. I have a great friend who says it this way, you are not responsible for the pain that your obedience to God causes other people. Get that. You are not responsible for the pain that your obedience to God causes other people. That's God's deal, and he can handle it, I promise. Doing what God asks you to do is about doing the right thing every single time. That's the obedience evaluation. And you're sitting here on the fourth weekend of this series that we call One Month to Live, right? And by virtue of your sitting here in this room, you all know, at least for this moment, for these minutes, that your time is not yet up, right? But someday it is going to be up. Someday, your final buzzer is going to sound and it's game over with this life, right? Statistics show that the death rate is a constant 100%. Can't argue with that. Eventually, every single one of us are going to experience the moment when we exit life as we've known it on this earth. I want you to watch this.
See, being able to leave this life boldly is about two things, really. First, it's about you being ready to face eternity. It's about you being ready to face eternity. See, this life is not the end. The Bible is very clear about this truth. You're going to stop breathing someday, but you will not stop living. You will live on forever in eternity. And the moment after you die, you will either experience the greatest celebration or the greatest separation ever. Heaven and hell, they are very real places. And we all get to choose where we spend our forever. And if you want to experience heaven, then we've got to spend every minute on earth prepared for eternity. I heard a guy say this once. You're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. And I think he's right. And you don't have to be worried about that. You can settle that once and for all right here today. But you being ready to leave this life boldly is about you being ready to face eternity, ready to face forever. And then you being ready to leave this life boldly is about investing in things that last Investing in people, which really means that you being ready to leave this life boldly is more about you helping other people get ready to leave this life boldly, right? Using your influence and using your affluence and using your obedience to make sure that they're ready. We're around people every single day whose life clocks are ticking down just like in that film. And the question is this. Have we told them that what they do with the person of Jesus Christ determines where they spend forever? Do they know? Have you told them? Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, we talked about it a few minutes ago, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Watch this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. People live forever in eternity, and we cannot waste the opportunities that we have right here and right now to tell people the truth about Jesus Christ and invite them to give their lives to him before it's too late, before their final buzzer sounds. I'm gonna ask you if you would please just to take your things and set them aside. I just invite you to bow your head and Get into a posture of prayer and just tell the Lord what's on your heart and your mind. You can do that now. I'm going to ask you just to stay in a posture of prayer, if you would, for the next few moments. If you're a Christ follower sitting here today, your challenge today is to measure your influence, to measure your affluence, measure your obedience, and determine whether or not you're passing those tests. Are you investing in people or are you building sandcastles on sinking sand? Are you leveraging your influence and your affluence and your obedience to make sure that people in your life are ready to leave this life boldly? Are you helping them get ready? And maybe as you sit in this room today, you've never settled it once and for all where you'll end up when this buzzer sounds. When you breathe your last. 
Your opportunity today is to do that very thing. Your opportunity today is to take Jesus up on his gift of life and salvation that he extends to you right now. You can settle it once and for all by acknowledging how much Jesus loves you, by acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross to be your savior, to be your rescuer, the rescuer of your soul. And you can choose in this moment to put your faith and your trust in him by the blood he shed on the cross for you. And if that's you, if you're choosing to do that today, I just invite you to express that to God. You can do that by praying along with me a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I get it. I know that I've sinned. And I know, God, that you are perfect and that you are holy. And God, that my sin has separated me from you. But God, I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I need you to be my friend and I need you to change me and I need you to clean my life up, God. And God, will you make me all about helping others leave this life boldly, please? And if you prayed that prayer with me just then, if you sealed up your eternal destination just then, that's the biggest deal of your whole life. Believe me. And it's such a big deal that around here we actually ask people to tell us when they've made that decision and I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. I want you to know that nobody's going to embarrass you, but if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to step into life with him forever, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and say, I did that just then. Way to go. Way to go. And right there, way to go. God's changing you both, and he's making you brand new. You don't have to wonder anymore about where you'll spend your forever. Are there any others? I don't want to miss anybody. Just make sure I catch your eye if you would, please. God, thanks so much that you don't just leave us hanging in insecurity, but God, you help us know where we're going to spend our forever. And we rest in that truth and in that reality, God. And would you help us as a community live out of a place that helps others be ready to leave this planet boldly, God. Help us to wield spiritual influence and leverage our affluence and just to be obedient to you so that we can leave a lasting legacy of people, God. Because people live forever people live forever. Impassion us with that truth, with that reality, God, and help us be all about helping others be ready to leave boldly. We love you and we worship you. We're your vessels and your messengers. We're your kingdom bringers, God. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.